millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello, my name is Richard Curtis, and I'm going to talk about the film I made, the film I wish I'd made, and the film I am making. Rom-com king, Richard Curtis, the man responsible for so many films that we know and love from Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Love Actually, the Bridget Jones films. The latest one uh, is something very different, though. It's a man going through, a young man going through an existential crisis after a cataclysmic global event, <laughs> a film about... God, Im- that sounds exciting. ...imposter syndrome. Uh, it's a... Uh, no, come on. It's another rom-com, really, isn't it? We'll talk about yesterday a little bit later. Richard, when you grew up, were you, were you a big fan of rom-coms? Or are they just films that you think come naturally as I a think filmmaker? I think there's a misunderstanding about the rom-com title. That's the thing. When I wrote Four Weddings, I definitely thought I was doing something different to that. I was trying to write a film like Breaking Away, Gregory's Girl, Rita Sue and Bob to Dinah. In other words, these were sort of semi-autobiographical young man's films in which necessarily love was part of it. So I think those were the things that I loved, as it were, not a, a more formulaic romantic thing, which it turned out, or eventually I was told, is what I'd written. But uh, the idea was to just look at life, and my life, you know, at that age, was I was pretty keen on the idea of finding love, or if I couldn't do that, at least a girlfriend. Mm. I don't mind formulas being used by people, obviously, who, you know, for whom love is there. Would you dispute your film's old rom-coms, then? No, 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 no. There's actually quite a sort of... I I see a line through them in that Four Weddings was literally by mistake, as it were, and then I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing here, and Notting Hill, because I had this idea, which was higher concept, the very famous girl... I sort of thought, oh, I know how to do this now. So as well, that was, I would say that was the one that I wrote that really was a, quite close to a rom-com. And then Love Actually was my, I, I had other ideas, so I thought I'll just do ten of them and squeeze them into a film, like sort of Shortcuts or Smoke or some of these right. movies that I really liked. Said, so I wonder if you can do that. And um, But what happened is then I started being tempted to put in things that were to do with other kinds of love, brothers, sisters, fathers, um, all that kind of stuff. And then after that, I've sort of kept my foot in the romantic camp and sort of done half the films about 
other things, I think. But it is love, isn't it? That is the recurring, it's the touchstone of your friends. Yeah, love, and, love, love verging upon love of friends and love of family. I mean, in some ways, I wish I'd focused on those a tiny bit more, but I have done a certain amount. And when you first started watching films, were they the sort of films that interested you? Or do you think this is... Well... You're just tapping into something which is... No, I mean, I think... No, that's a very good question. And I definitely enjoyed, you know, getting into my sort of... When I hit 20, I was definitely enjoying Ghost and Pretty Woman perhaps more than some of my friends... On the other hand, that doesn't mean that I wasn't enjoying, um, you know, Beverly Hills Cop, which I adored, and Jaws, and, you know, The Guns of Navarone as much as I should have done. So I wouldn't have... If you'd said to me at 20, what are you going to end up writing, I would not have said, oh, well, the only thing I'm interested in movies is this. I wasn't loitering in my room looking at, you know, the Philadelphia story. I was pretty normal cinema goer but you weren't the sort of filmmaker either that was quoting from Fellini films or Coppola or no, never never ne- very much a, on the populist front even though I mean again there are some of those people's films I've seen and some of them I like I mean there are some I specifically don't like did you when you're a young man when you're a kid did you imagine that you would make films did you have a, a kind of a filmic imagination no um uh, i didn't i mean i've always been lucky and being most obsessed by music in which i have no talent so that was fantastic so i could just dive into a pool uh, without ever thinking i have to contribute to this do you so, play at all no i, I mean i tried here i know i nice tried piano the piano i tried the trumpet i tried everything so you don't play that no fortunately emma the mum of all my kids uh, does, and one, two, three of them have inherited from her some musical skills, which is great. But I was just... I couldn't play an instrument. And I just think I like movies as much as everyone else. I mean, I'm definitely not one of those. My friend Paul Greengrass gave a speech the other day saying in order to be a, a, a great movie director, you had to have had an unhappy or complicated childhood in which case you know I'm screwed (laughs) so I didn't so the film I made let's start with that one um is there an obvious choice? I mean, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm, going to, I, I'm actually going to do Love Actually, I think, which may not have been what I said I was going to do, and that's just because I did direct it, and it's quite an interesting thing to talk about. That was the first film I directed, and mm. the extra complexities that followed upon that Do you feel decision. more proprietorial about no. that one than forwarding? No. no, no, I don't. I feel because of the fact that I've been allowed by the directors I work with to be there, every minute of casting, every minute of shooting, and quite a lot of the editing, I I feel sort of equally about them. In fact, I I feel slightly more lonely about Love Actually because I had to do it slightly more on my own. Was that when you took on that film and you'd had the big success with Four Weddings uh, and Notting Hill even more so, did you think, I'm on a roll here, I need to stay on this track? No, I was actually it? trying to leave the track. Right. I just decided to have a go at this experiment. I think I was feeling fearless, and it was quite an unusual thing to do. There have been actually a few of these films uh, after it, but 
I, I really liked multi-story movies and thought it would be fun to do. Did you start with Hugh? Was he already signed up? Did you say, look, I've got another film on the way, it's worked well? No, no I started with the idea of the ten films and I already had a few of them in my mind. Are there ten one in, of them. in I think Love, so. actually? Yeah, I think so. So that maybe is like maybe shortcuts, isn't it? That's the old yeah. one. Yeah. Was and, that and an love? Oh, yeah, I loved oh. Shortcuts and I loved... Nashville was one of the movies I really adored when I was young. I don't know why. I think it's the fact that for the movie-going experience, and, you know, Pulp Fiction has whatever it does, three or four, yeah. I love that idea of jumping. And, in fact, even movies like Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines and stuff like that, where you jump from plot to plot, I think, I thought was fun. Yeah, so th- very rarely have I written for people. Notting Hill very specifically was not written for Hugh, but then we auditioned about five other people and thought, oh, God. Um, we Did you have bothered. somebody else in mind? No, it was the whole point of Notting Hill was it was going to be someone not famous. Oh. The idea of having a completely new person. And then somebody playing a very famous and person. And then Julia Roberts. So as it were, you know, famous. it was meant to be in our new film. Yeah, Himesh yeah. Patel is playing the hero who people who haven't watched EastEnders don't know. And I love that fact that, he, that you've got an unknown playing someone who becomes uh, incredibly famous. But, yeah, so, no, the, I, I was actually... I had a problem with my back and I couldn't write for a while and I spent six months thinking of tales to tell rather than, which I would normally do, starting to write a whole film. Ah, so it's a film that was born out of recuperation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's interesting. Is it's, uh, there's a, and the immediate thing that springs to mind is Ringo, as a kid, was laid up in bed and learned to play the drums by kind of tapping his way across... He's, yeah, on pots and pans, because wow. he had nothing else to do. Well, there are that other was the examples. only thing I could do, is think of more stories than usual. Uh, and there are about five, you know, or six. There are all sorts of ones that haven't made it and didn't make it into the film, including a couple we actually shot. Did you, I mean, given that you didn't want Hugh Grant in uh, specifically for <laughs> Notting Hill, yeah, uh, and then you relented, and he was back. Was was he immediately your prime minister? Yeah, I just thought that would be funny. You know, I was just trying to think of a of a gimmick, really. And I think I knew that I wanted Emma Thompson to play the part that she played because it had a particular focus, and I'd had such a good experience with her on the tour guy. Um, but apart from that, oh, it was a it was a absolute mother to cast because you were looking for twenty two. Leads, So, I mean, it was a huge job, but a joyful job because you were giving lots of very good actors a chunky thing, but they didn't have to, you know, give up their whole summer, as it were. But there is a kind of Richard Curtis ensemble now, isn't there? Or a, rep- a repertory company of people who have returned to the films. Yeah, and um, I hope it's because they're the right people in each case. I mean, the Bill Nye story in this one is interesting because I had two people in mind both of whom were very famous already. and uh, What does Bill play? Remind us He why. plays a rock and roll star. And I think one of them was a rock and roll star and the other one was a very famous comedian. And we, I, we hadn't asked either of them. And I said to Mary Selway, who was casting it, bring along someone for the read-through who um, will do it well. And she said, well, what about Bill Nye? And I said, he'd be perfect because I know I don't like him as an actor. Um, and so no matter how good he is, he won't get the role. So I don't have to feel sort of bad about it. 
Uh, and then he was so good at the read through that he got the part. Did you not? You, and then I just kept on casting him in different in different ways. But up to that point, you actually didn't. I feel like I'd him. seen him in a couple of you know slightly <laughs> annoying left wing plays, and, and and decided he was not for me. Where did it go from there then? Given that you got ten stories, and you have to start then interweaving them yeah, uh, because they do intercut it's not one of those kind of portmanteau films where it is back to back and one story stops and the next one starts you know some kind of French way yeah no 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 it was a lot of fun to write because what I was basically saying I was going to write the first scene the middle scene as it were just take the best scenes of different movies and put them all in the same film and I it was you know took a long time to do and I tried all sorts of other methods I tried a sort of there was a narrator going to go through it I remember at some point it started with a bunch of people rather like maybe Broadway Danny Rose all sort of saying what's the what's the sort of love story that's most hurt your feelings or that you know about and I didn't do that and I decided to set it at Christmas about halfway through the process, because I suddenly thought, how am I going to accelerate everybody towards a sense of crunch time and the same deadline? Because Christmas does do that a bit. Mm. And then we finished. I finished writing the film. We went through this epic casting thing. Had the most amazing read through because they are, you know, that's quite a shock when you actually hear the film, and it really seemed to work. And then, you know, the real story of Love, actually, is we... I can talk to you a bit about shooting it, which was very complicated, but when we put the film together, it didn't work at all. It turned out that on screen, all the things that had worked in a room when you could see 20 people and think, oh, we'll be back to Liam soon or we'll be back to Mm. Kira soon, that there was just a completely different story unfolded. So it was an agonising edit. I mean, I really thought the film was not going to work for month after month after month because I couldn't keep the tension up. I couldn't keep the story going. I couldn't get the rhythms right. And given that that was the first one that you directed, was that you learning on the job? Would you have done it differently in retrospect, given you know what... I don't think I would have known. The reason I've not done a sequel to Love, actually, or even done another film in that genre is because I think we got through it by the skin of our teeth and I don't want to risk it again because there may have been lessons to be learned but I don't know I just think that you know my theory of editing a movie is that it's like or the kind of movies I do is that it's like pulling someone on a rope towards you and if you change the tone too much or go in a direction that they don't want or you know, then that's like cutting the rope and you've got to go all the way back, pick it up again and pull the person again. Uh, I'm very sort of aware of that feeling of hanging on, giving people the next scene that they want, Um, giving holding on to the emotions, not being inconsistent, suddenly someone behaving in a strange way. And I think what happened in Love Actually is I was just endlessly cutting the rope because you're just getting interested in the story and then you give them another bit of another story from another perspective at another point. And ending up with a film which is the sort of antithesis of what you do, which is wanting people to go on the journey with you rather than confronting them or having that jarring thing that many filmmakers would relish. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, that's interesting you said. I haven't really sort of thought about that. I once had a big disagreement with Anthony Mengele about he said that he never considered the audience he literally he wrote the story for himself mm. whatever he wanted to happen next to the characters and I don't write as it were a story to please the audience but on the other hand the whole point is to pull in the person sitting around the fire listening to your 
listening to your tale. Do you believe Anthony when he said that? I didn't you, believe him. No. Well, you I didn't believe he believe meant him. that. No, I didn't believe he... I, I'm sure he meant it. Yeah. But I seem to remember there was like some example of a... Of a I think there was a, there's a scene, isn't there a scene in The English Patient where someone gets up and hits their head, they've been hiding behind something. And I just said to him, you must have known that that was going to make the audience laugh and therefore put them off their guard and therefore allow you to do something in the next scene rather than you thinking what would happen at this point in these people's relationship one of them would hit their head it didn't didn't make sense to me so I mean look we all you know make things and then sort of post explain them so it was a real struggle love actually real struggle I mean the shoot was I can't tell every tale now the shoot was tough because, I mean, it was good because nobody could see how unready I was for the task because they all only stayed on for two weeks. You know, it was a strange old thing. They hardly met each other. The so. whole shoot was two weeks? No, well, each person, each oh, actor. See, right. yeah, so yeah. that was the thing. You know, I didn't have ten weeks to establish trust or, of course, lose trust. Um, you know, it was a weird thing. It was like making ten films, ten different locations, ten oh, different right, stars right. and partners and everything like that. So the shoot was, you know, hard. And the fact that it's worked at all, I mean, every time anyone says that they've watched it and enjoyed it, I, I breathe a sigh of relief. Do you enjoy watching Do you re-watch your films? No, I don't really. But I have seen that one recently because a friend of ours did a screening at Drury Lane Theatre with a live orchestra. And I said I'd introduce it and watch it because I haven't seen the film since the... I mean, with a audience you don't see it uh, after the premiere so you've had this wonderful experience of you know a thousand friends watching a movie and then any other time you see it is just is never going to be feel like that and also when you've made movies they turn into they you know while you're editing a movie you hang on to not knowing the story you have to literally say oh my god here's a girl called bridget So when you make a film, you have to hang on to sort of innocence. You mustn't know that the guy is going to meet the girl and everything like that. You've got to empty your brain. And then the moment the stress of the edit is gone, it just melts and it becomes a very expensive diary. I just think, oh, God, she didn't want to wear that costume and he was in a bad mood and it (laughs) rained and all that kind of stuff. You never went into cinemas, paid and put a you know baseball cap on and sat at the back? I've done it a couple of times, but it's reaction. always a disaster. Because really? it's always a disaster. Because, look, you go in and you think, oh, it's Thursday, the movie's doing well. I remember going to see Four when and even Bean, but I've learnt my lesson now. And there's always just 11 people in there, and they don't laugh for the first 48 minutes. <laughs> so, no. That would be a mistake. So at Christmas time, four weddings comes on, or Love Actually, or whatever, it comes onto the television. Do you, you just never sit down and? Go? No, I don't. I don't. I don't watch them. Are you proud of Love Actually? Given that it was such a struggle, given it was your first, I think. Do you know what? Enough. The, when I saw it the other day, when I saw this one, I thought, what a, what a perky film. I mean, there are a couple of things in it which are, are based on things in my life that are sadder, and I, I do notice those, but. It does feel like, as it were, a young man's film, and I'm glad I had the joy and the energy and the hope to make that film. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It makes people happy. Do you have any plans to make films about love in at an older age? I don't have, at the moment, plans to make any more films, so the answer is probably no. I mean, I did make ECO Trot, which was this film with Dustin Hoffman oh, yeah. and... Judy Dench, and I'd always wanted to make a movie about my mum and dad. 
And they're quite like my mum and dad, those two. Blonde and dark. Very, I mean, my mum was very Australian. My dad was from Czechoslovakia. So there's a, um, that's in a way, I think, my version of that film. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So let's move on to the film I wish I'd made. Okay. Are you? I mean, are you a big film fan? Do you, are you one of those people that has to? Do you have an encyclopedic knowledge of cinema? No, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of cinema. I've never seen a movie by Fellini. I saw a couple of Bergman's early on. You've I, never I, seen a Fellini? No, um, no. I've I've seen one movie by Kurosawa. I've never seen a movie by Pasolini. You know, I mean, I'm not a big film fan, but I'm a great fan of popular films and going to the movies and I absolutely love doing that and I've seen lots and lots and lots of films and so the film I'm going to pick the, the, the films I was toying between choosing were a film called The Sun's Room which was which actually won at Cannes and is a, the most extraordinary movie by Nanny Moretti about a man and his wife who's son dies at the age of, of 15. And it's completely realistic, completely low-key, and the most extraordinary analysis of sorrow. And I, I mean, I, it's what, the strange thing is I can't recommend it because it's mm-hmm. also a sad experience, and I don't think anyone else in my family has seen it yet. But that, it would have been marvellous for me if I'd had as it were, the nerve or the inspiration to make a low-key, realistic movie and Moretti uh, is a very famous comedian in Italy so yeah. um, but I'm not gonna talk about that one and I won't talk about the, sort of the inspiration films of my youth The Breaking Aways and Gregory's Girl I, well, I think I'll talk about this film called 500 Days of Summer which was made I think 10 years ago just because if I'd thought of it God, I would have made it, and it gives me complete delight, and it's like a quintessential version of the kind of thing I might have been able to do. It's a, a coming-of-age movie. It's, it's a, a, a it's just story. a romantic... Yeah, it's a, it's a love story. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably dangerously close, in a way, to Annie Hall, in that it's a sort of love story, a sort of messy love story in sketch format. 
But what is brilliant about it is that it, it plays about with time even more than any hall. So these 500 right. days, going from day one to 500, I think it starts at day 184, then goes back to day three, then goes forward to day 400, then back to 78. So it, it, it's, it really messes with this love story, knowing how love stories go, as it were. You know, that they're going to start not knowing each other, then meeting each other, then falling in love, then something's going to go wrong. It plays with the linear thing. Or yeah, messes it with the really linear thing. messes with the linear thing. It stars Zoe Deschanel, John... Oh, God alive. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's adorable in it. And um, Zoe, who's adorable, you know, just uh, such a sort of mysterious and beautiful actress. And she plays got, Summer. I she mean, plays... She plays Summer, and she's a very, you know, in a way like Diane Keaton was, like some great, you know, characters in, in, in romantic movies. She's really interesting. She's complicated. She's sort of unknowable. He's a bit of a sort of normal duffer like the leads in my movies have been. <laughs> it's got so many jokes in it. It's got so many jokes in it. And so many unexpected scenes when things go she things go worse than they should. And it's all broken up. So it's got like the definitive resignation scene by him. He works in a card company and, you know, greetings card company. And there's a great scene when he resigns. There's a great karaoke scene. There's a very famous scene which is so beautiful where he goes, he meets her again at a wedding and you think, oh, it's all going to be fine. And she invites him to a party and the whole party is done with what he hoped was going to happen and what actually did happen. So the screen oh, is split. Parallel narratives. screen is split in two. Yeah. And the, it starts the same and she kisses him exactly the same at the start of both, but then in one she introduces him to her fiancé and in the other one what actually happens is so... It's that. It's, uh, and it's got, you know, an amazing little song and dance number. So it's this absolute full bag of tricks. It sounds like a Richard Curtis movie in many ways. Well, are that's you... why you... But uh, your question was a film you'd wish you'd you, made. I mean, yeah. obviously, I wish I'd made um, Raging Bull or, or something <laughs> like that. But, but we, 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 you know... So you're recognising something of yourself in that movie. You're, 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 I'm you're recognising a, 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 you know a definitive version of the kind of film that I could have made. And then when I'm, you know, a movie like The Sun's Room or Lucas Moodison's Lilia Forever, these are movies I could never make, but wouldn't it have been great if I, if I could? Five Hundred Days of Summer, I'm heading yeah. to that. So the film I'm making, and you just told me a moment ago that you're not making a film and you have no plans to make any more films. Yeah. I mean, partly because you have just made a film, uh, which we will talk about, we'll bend yeah. the rules uh, of this podcast, uh, but also, I guess, because you are so busy with all the other work. Yeah, you? I do lots of other work. Also, I mean, look, I bet I changed my mind. That's the thing. So I want to preface this by saying I am definitely lying. But in theory, at the moment, I feel as though I've now made two films about prioritising your life over your work. And if you have the luxury of being able to do that, particularly when you've got lots of 
kids and like me you have never watched a movie by Fellini never read a book over 300 pages long never learned to cook never walked around Scotland I'm just wondering whether or not it would be wrong for me to dive in and particularly you know when I'm not going to make Lilia forever particularly when I'm not going to make The Sun's Room when I'm not going to make you know uh, the things I do are going to be familiar and they're probably going to be familiar to me uh, and there's I'd no like regret about that. You don't think, oh, God, no. why didn't I make those sort of movies? Why didn't uh, well, I? Well, no, another reason, oddly enough, why, well, no, but also there are lots of things I thought I was going to make that I never did make. I've got four or five. I've got one particular sitcom. I've got three or four other films and I never got around to doing and you can't, you can't do it all. Um, so this is a, a probable hiatus, but not the Richard Curtis retirement. No, I suppose not. No, it would be ridiculous <laughs> to think that that was going to happen. But I want to, I want to take advice of about time and focus on the everyday. And the new movie that I've just done, we can break the rules. Let's here. break the rules. Because actually, do you know what, officially, you've just told me that you were heading to the premiere. Yes, so tonight. I'm still making So it. the film If is, I was Baz Luhrmann, I'd still be changing it. You would, you would run from the premiere, yeah. head straight to the edit suite and say yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. So this is a film called Yesterday. Young man is hit by a bus on his bike, wakes up and the world has changed, and the key change to the world is nobody knows who the Beatles are, yeah. apart from him. Yeah, it's a, he's in a good situation that he can play a guitar, and if that happened to me, I would have to commit suicide and, because I couldn't play a note. But, yeah, he knows how to play, and he's sort of, you know, he, he writes Let It Be, he writes The Long and Winding Road, he writes Help. Uh, and the film is, you know, I hope as funny as it can be, but and it also bends towards looking at, you know, how we all feel like imposters and it also looks at the thing I'm almost most interested in, which is how do you what do you choose? Do you choose work, which I sometimes think I've overchosen, or do you choose love? And in this case it's love with Lily James, which would be a very bad mistake to turn your back on. But the the concept itself, and you mentioned that key scene from which the film takes its title when he sits down with a group of friends and he's recovering from the accident and Lily James, Ellie, uh, hands him a present, a new guitar, and he just plays yesterday. An astonishing moment, I thought. Um, I knew the premise of the film and I thought, well, that sounds a bit silly. And that moment was a real revelation because you hear that song in a totally fresh way. And I guess that's the point, isn't it? That these songs stand... The test of time. You strip them down, they're unbreakable. Yeah, it's funny how I, I did wonder as I set off on the journey, I wondered whether or not I would end up thinking that the Beatles would not be as huge. Now, they wouldn't be as huge because there was this astonishing, joyful magic in four boys and four haircuts from Liverpool with those accents, with those jokes, with that friendship. But the more I've listened to the songs, and they're really stripped down in the movie the more I think, oh, no, this is, you know, Monet or Picasso or Mozart or whatever that. These are utterly magical tunes with an utterly magical relationship with their lyrics. I mean, I often mm. have become more and more interested in the lyrics. All the way through, there are just amazing lines that come out. And I think, imagine if the Beatles were starting now and they were called The Bottles and they did what Ed Sheeran's doing with his new album, which is releasing a single every two weeks. I mean, if one of those songs came out every two weeks, which they could have done for five years, no one would be able to risk that barrage of 
of sort of joyful genius, I don't think. No, they stand up today, yeah. don't they? They absolutely do stand up. You mentioned Ed Sheeran, who has a really interesting cameo role. He is Ed Sheeran, and he is the superstar, but then he becomes... Salieri to the Mozart yes. character played by Himish Patel. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was a, a very self-deprecating way of playing it, I thought. Yeah, no, I mean, Ed was fun because in a way the movie's about Ed because Ed, you know, started in Suffolk where the movie's set and then he, you know, as it were, went round the world, captured the world and he's come home to marry a, you know, a girl he knew at school. So that gave me the confidence that things can work out in that way. And then, yeah, he's actually playing himself in the movie and um, really acting rather well. I think one of the things, you know, it's been a joy in this because I've been working with uh, Danny Boyle on it. And Danny does some very intelligent things and he created a very relaxed environment for Ed and Ed's surrounded in in many of the scenes by the friends he's surrounded by actually on tour. Uh His entourage are there. That is his crew that that, we see. Yeah. So, you know, it's a proper and friendly environment and also, you know, the scene you were just talking about, the yesterday scene, it's so... I was sort of startled that he chose to do that one so simply. You know, I thought, oh, maybe he'll do some fireworks here, but he knew just at that moment to take it right down when they sing yesterday because he does some fireworks elsewhere in the movie. There are scenes where I would have had, you know, two shots and Danny's got... 102 shots <laughs> but uh how s- clever it was to simply say that either this song is going to be magical or the film doesn't work and he trusted the song what's interesting is that given th- that this is a collaboration you've written the film and danny Boyle has directed it if i didn't know and i saw this film i would say yeah it's a richard curtis film it's not obviously a danny Boyle film is it well Of course, I see it as much more so because I know what I wouldn't be able to do. Right. So, you know, when he gets hit by the bike, I know the Richard Curtis version of that scene. Uh, There's a bike, there's a bus, cut to shocked bystander uh, and sound of a bang off screen. But with Danny, there's a shot of the ambition and the electricity and slow motion and lights going out everywhere. So I kind of see that and I, I see how he's kept it and I think he's like a perfect choice because he's very good on sort of reality and realism, but also on just giving things a tiny spin, which makes you feel always the world's not quite where it's uh, where it's meant to be. But also, Danny's a he's done a lot of different kinds of films. In a way, he's remembered for uh, most for Train Spotting and Slumdog. These are two mm-hmm. very different films. They're fast moving, but wow, they're emotional. Focus is different. So this is Danny Boyle's romantic film at the moment. And I think he's, you know, well, I love the way he's done it. What struck me walking into your house today, the first thing I saw on the wall were pictures of the Beatles. Yes. There were those fantastic... um, Well, there's the Don McCullen one, isn't there? There's the... um, Was it Avedon did that? You haven't been upstairs, by the way. Really? There's more up there. (laughs) A shrine to the Beatles. So you genuinely love the Beatles. Yeah, and, you know, obviously my, you know, whole, you know, job in life has been, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself either much cleverer or funnier than anyone else, but I did have the confidence to try and reproduce the jokes and things I'm interested in for real. 
And so that was like right from the start, Roman and I, when we joined Not the Nikon News, there was a tendency to sort of do satirical things and jokes about, you know, whatever was in the news at the moment. And we drifted off very quickly into sort of our own slightly peculiar world of jokes that we were enjoying at that time. And I've always stuck to that. And therefore, you know, I don't make films about things that I don't really, really, really feel very deeply. So I feel the Beatles thing every day of my life. They, I genuinely think that those sort of that combination of joy and love and even when you're being sad, wrap it up like help in something bouncy, you know, is, has been the inspiration of everything I do. So I, I wouldn't have done this movie about the monkeys, let's put it that way. <laughs> and anybody who's dealt with the Beatles as a sort of corporate empire and Apple and all of those things and the le- legacy knows it's complicated. Yeah. How, you had to obviously get sign-off and consent to use the songs, I guess. Was it... I think there were... Um, I think it is complicated. I actually admire that complication. Uh, I think that, you know, the Beatles have their legacy to protect and certainly not up to them. You know, they've done everything they need to do to endorse anything. So they're very careful. We, we got on the right side of the, of the careful and, it, you know, it took work. But I think, you know, if it had been, you know, here's a, here's a, a Beatles-based movie saying how enthusiastic, you know, the serial killer Ted Bundy was about the Beatles, I think they probably would have said no, but we were, you know, it's quite a gentle conceit. Has McCartney seen it? McCartney hasn't seen it, no. Um, but I look, I hope I'll see it and I hope I like it. Richard, thanks very much. Great Thank to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Please do rate and review these three. It helps other people find the series. And subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Also, have a look at the website. We've got more information about all of the guests. There are photographs, videos, uh, previews of forthcoming episodes. We're on Twitter and Instagram, of course. These Three is produced and presented by me, John Wilson, in association with Analog Folk. Thanks for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.